are looking through the 12 disciples, what the scriptures teach us about them. And this morning we are looking at a disciple by the name of Nathaniel. This is part two of a study in this, on this disciple. And uh, well, if you missed last Sunday uh, and didn't hear that sermon and you are here today listening to this one, uh, you're only going to make it halfway to heaven. <laughs> So you need to go back and listen to last Sunday's sermon, and I'm just kidding, of course, but uh, put it together uh, with this one. Uh, For the initiated among us, uh, you've read ahead, you've looked at the four listings of the 12 disciples, and uh, you know that the name Nathaniel is not in there. Uh, So why would we consider this man mentioned in John chapter 1? to be one of the twelve disciples. Well, it's because the Bible scholars have studied this extensively and said that it is believed Nathaniel was the name given to this man at birth. And even though he's not mentioned in the listing of the twelve, there's another name there, the name Bartholomew. And Bartholomew is not mentioned in other places in the Bible uh, extensively. But his name was probably Nathaniel Bartholomew. Bartholomew means literally son of Tholomew. So we could probably refer to this man as Nathaniel Bartholomew. Nathaniel son of Tholomew. It's a five point sermon. Last week I gave you only the first two points. Today we'll finish it. But I want to read again this passage beginning at verse 45. Look at what the scripture says. It says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now your translation may say guile. I'll get to that in just a moment. But it's the same meaning, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You are the king of Israel. It's hard to measure spiritual growth. Physical growth is easy. We can measure our height. We can step on a scale from time to time and uh, gauge our weight. We can think about uh, how we are eating. We can gauge and measure our exercise, our sleep and sleep habits. All of those are easily measured and quantifiable. But when it comes to spiritual growth, not so much. I have often said that ministry is like watching the grass grow. (laughs) I mean, if you sit there, stand there, and, and just stare at the grass, you're not able to see the the growth that is taking place. But if you walk away for a while and then you come back, then it's able, you're able to see what's happening. Sometimes that's the way with spiritual growth. And maybe maybe it's difficult for us to measure it from day to day, but 
year by year or certainly decade by decade, we could go back and say somewhere in my life, I know that there was a time of wonderful spiritual growth. Other times, not so much. We had plateaued or we were in decline. Maybe, maybe you were going through some very difficult circumstances and what's interesting about that is oftentimes we think that in our low points, when we feel distanced from God, when we struggle with our faith, when we are torn and we're not sure that we're as strong as we need to be, we discover that it's in those moments that God was really bringing our growth into focus. I've never met a person, a Christian that is, who said to me, Bill, I don't want to grow spiritually. I've never met a Christian who said, I've learned all I want to learn. I know everything that I need to know. I'm really not in. But I've met scores of Christians who have said, I want to grow spiritually if only I can figure out how to do it. So what I'm doing now as I study through the lives of the 12 disciples is we're looking at Nathaniel and I'm showing you that I think he embodied some disciplines that if we can incorporate these into our lives, we can jumpstart that spiritual growth or we can discover that we can continue that spiritual growth progress and spiritual growth momentum. The first thing that I pointed out to you was found in verse 45 where it says, Philip found Nathanael and said, we found him. We found the one that Moses and the law and the prophets have written about. He's Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. And I said that I believe Nathaniel was a student of the scriptures. I believe that because Philip condensed the entire Old Testament down into one sentence. And he didn't have to go into a long dissertation about what he was talking about. I think Nathaniel probably had studied the scriptures with Philip perhaps and they were on the same page. And Nathaniel knew exactly what Philip was talking about and to whom he was referring. Notice that he never used the word Messiah. He never talked about the anointed one, the Christ. But yet Nathaniel knew exactly what he was talking about. Now I spent a lot of time last Sunday morning talking about the need for us to study the scriptures. The fact is I could spend another sermon today on that very topic and not talk about anything that I talked about last week. But I'm not. I simply want to make a point that the scriptures are the soil in which we plant our lives. The analogy is this. We are not posts stuck in the ground. We are trees that are planted. And as we plant our lives in the scripture, we discover that in the Bible, we discover day by day that God continues to speak to the relevant needs of our lives. And we have to go back to the scripture. It is ground zero. If you discovered the Bible is a, a book that is alive, it sings, it weeps, the Bible prays, the Bible uh, caresses us when we need consoling, the Bible challenges us when we get lazy, the, the Bible expresses for us exactly what's on our heart, so much better than any of us could ever do it. If only we just immerse ourselves in the scripture, we allow God to do with it what it's designed to do. It's designed to equip us. It's designed to uh, challenge us. It's designed to perfect in us 
that spiritual growth that God desires to take place. So we must be students of the Bible. The second thing I pointed out is found in verse 46 where Nathaniel asked the question, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Now it's almost like he changes the topic there just a little bit and he's, you know, it's almost like he's, he's questioning Philip but listen carefully to what he's doing. I think that Nathaniel had this healthy sense of skepticism. I'm building an outline here, so follow it with me. And if you and I are going to grow spiritually, we, we've got to cultivate this sense of skepticism. Now, <clears throat> that doesn't mean that, that you, you look with uh, cynicism on, on what's being taught in the Bi- about the Bible or in a Sunday school class, in a worship service, or, or maybe if you're reading a book that some author has written and you find an interest in what's being written there. The point is that we don't take everything wholesale. Now I want to believe that everything that I say and everything that I share is directly aligned with Scripture. And I assure you that there is much prayer and thought given into the instruction that is delivered in a sermon and in a message. But in the humanity of my own thinking, in the humanness that is there, I realize that I may make a mistake. I may be off the mark just a little bit. And what I pray and what I hope is that you will always take what is taught and measure it against the Scripture. And that is true regardless of who the preacher is. There's a beautiful picture of this in the book of Acts. And it's where a couple, a man and a wife, by the name of Priscilla and Aquila, were listening to a man by the name of Apollos preach. And as they listened to Apollos, I think they realized that he was missing a very central truth to the gospel because what he was preaching, get this now, was the baptism of John the Baptist. Well, what what did John the Baptist preach? John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus, and he preached, repent, be baptized, listen to this now, For the kingdom of God is near. John the Baptist was the one trying to prepare the way for Jesus. And so he would say to the people, you need to to repent of your sins. You need to be baptized because God's sending a redeemer. When, When Priscilla and Aquila heard that, they didn't pull Apollos aside and beat him up. They weren't so critical of him that they went around saying, don't listen to this man. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You know what they did? they lovingly and compassionately pulled Apollos aside and said, hey, you are a gifted individual. But we want to tell you, the kingdom of God is not near, the kingdom of God is here. And what they did is they filled in the gap of his understanding about the kingdom by saying to him, we want you to know, God has sent Jesus into the world and Jesus died on the cross for the sins of all humanity. He was buried and on the third day he was raised again. And God used measuring against what they knew to be true and they invested in Apollos and made him an amazing, wonderful, influential leader in the early church. One of the founding fathers of the church at Ephesus, Apollos was. So it's a beautiful picture of how you take what is being taught, what is being said, and you measure it against what you know about the Bible. Now, the the 
careful thing we have to do is to make sure that we study the Bible extensively and thoroughly. You see, you can proof text almost anything. You can go in the Bible and just find one verse here, over here or somewhere over there. It can be very scarce and, and you know, out of the way. And, and you say, well, see there? That, that, you can't build a doctrine that way. You can't build a main teaching of Scripture. You have to look at it systematically and say, what is the total picture here about what the Bible teaches about God's plan for our lives? And so that's, that's what I'm trying to say is make sure that you're looking at the whole picture of what the Bible teaches. So skepticism is step number two. Again, we've got to do that if we're going to grow spiritually. Number three, how are we doing on time? Are we okay? Three, Nathaniel was a sincere man. And sincerity will go a long way in helping us grow spiritually. Look at what it says here in verse 47. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Now, I use the New American Standard version of the Bible. I think the King James says, in whom there is no guile. I haven't heard anybody use the word guile in a long time in conversation. So it may be a little dated for us, but the word guile is a good word, and it means without deceit. Now, I want to show you something here. Jesus was actually using a play on words here. He did this in the, in the Sermon on the Mount where he talked about judging not that you be not judged. Don't say to a brother, let me get that splinter out of your eye when you've got a two before in your own eye. You know, that, that's a play on terms. And You know what the play on word here is? It's the idea of no deceit and an Israelite. Jesus said, here's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Think about it this way. When God's chosen people were in bondage in Egypt, they were simply known as descendants of Joseph. Remember how the book of Genesis ends by telling about the story of Joseph? So you go back and see they're descendants of Joseph, really of Jacob but descendants of Joseph, because Joseph was so influential in Egypt. But then once Moses comes and is used of the Lord to liberate the descendants of Jacob from Egypt, they are known as a nation of Hebrews. Do you remember why? The word Hebrew means to pass over. And you remember it was how the Passover angel came. It was the final and last plague in Egypt that eventually and ultimately freed them from that land. So then they became known as Hebrews. But once they found their home in the promised land in Canaan, they became known as Israelites. Who were Israelites? Descendants of Joseph, descendants of Jacob, Hebrews, their name is changed. See, they they were Hebrews, Israelites, Jews, all one and the same, all the same people. But when Jesus refers to them, to to, to Nathaniel, he said, he's he's an Israelite, a descendant of Jacob, but in him there is no deceit. Who was Jacob? He was the twin brother of Esau, remember? 
He was the one when he was born into this world, he grabbed at the heel of his brother and they called him the trickster. He was the one who would trip you up. He, was one, he deceived his own father and was given the birthright even though he was a younger child. Remember, since that time, Hebrews, Israelites, Jews have never been able to shake this idea that they are tricksters, that they are deceivers. Have you ever heard anybody talk about a Jew doing business with a Jew that they will really get the best of you? Be careful doing business with someone like that? That's what Jesus is talking about. But listen to what he's saying. Nathaniel is an exception. He, he doesn't try to deceive you. He doesn't try to trick you. He doesn't try to trip you. What Jesus is saying is he is a sincere Man, what you see is what you get. He's not putting on airs. He's not trying to be somebody that he isn't. He's just presenting himself at face value. And Jesus, I think, is making a compliment toward Nathaniel in that way. Now, I want to boil it all down and ask you a question. Are you a sincere person? Well, you say, well, I sure hope so. How do I know if I'm a sincere person? Person, A sincere person is not just honest with somebody else. A sincere person is honest with themselves. Now, I'm going to say something this morning. I in no way mean to, you know, insult anybody here. I'm really speaking of my own experience. I think the majority of time that we come to church, we come to church as spectators. I think we're coming wondering what God is going to do if we're even thinking in those terms. But more importantly, what is God going to do in somebody else's life? I know that because there have been a few times through the years that I've been able to go to church and just sit where you're sitting. I go with my wife, we go to our home church, and I know what it's like. Sometimes I always wonder what am I thinking because I go in and I don't make that mental adjustment with myself that Lord I'm, I'm here to worship you and I want to spend time with you and Lord I'm interested in what you have to say to me I'm sitting there totally caught up with what's going on around me and I'm taking it all in and then there are times through song or prayer or sermon that God does this just right between the eyes and I'm like oh hello that was for me. Give an illustration of it. I, I, I did not have a, an interim January through March of this year. I was preaching here and there just on a given Sunday, filling in for some folks when they were out. But I, I went to church every Sunday that I wasn't preaching. And so I was there with my wife, and we're sitting in church. And uh, our, our church has about a 45-minute uh, worship service with song and, and, and so forth. And our preacher preaches for an hour and a half. And, and then we, I'm just kidding. Seems like that, but it's not like. But in one of the worship times, a, a, a praise team was leading. The choir was behind them. And, and there was a worship leader who was making a transition from one song into another. And as they are in the habit of doing, one of the worship or worship leaders will lead the congregation in prayer. And we're standing there and, 
And I'm doing my best to connect and be engaged, you know, but I'm listening as the worship leader is praying, and this is what he's doing. One of the first sentences out of his mouth was, God, wake us up. And he prays a little bit, another sentence or two, and then he says this time with a little more emphasis, God, wake us up. And he prays another sentence or two, and then he says, God, wake us up. And then he prays another sentence. And I don't know if it was rehearsed or written. It seemed like it was really coming from his heart and it was spontaneous. But then all of a sudden he's praying and I open my eyes and I look and there are tears streaming down his cheek and he's looking up toward heaven and he says, Oh God, wake us up. And I'm looking around saying, What in the world is going on? And then it hits me. It was for me. It was for me, just for that moment. God was shaking me in my own boots and my own sandals, so to speak, saying, Bill, I want to wake you up because I have something in store to say to you. God has a way of doing that sometimes, but it has to be us in the moment with Him in a moment of sincerity saying, God, I'm here. I'm laying myself transparent before you. I'm not interested in anybody else being at church today. It's just you and it's just me. Oh, Lord, speak to my life. How many times have you have ever done that? I want to tell you something, folks. When you are bold enough to give God an audience, He will speak. There are times when He will lift you up and He will hold you near and dear to His self and He will let you know that His love is inseparable. There are times that He will sit you down, look you eyeball to eyeball and say there are things that we need to talk about. But only a sincere person can do this. Only a sincere person who's honest enough with themselves can come to Scripture and sit down privately, quietly and say, Lord, I'm reading this Scripture. And you don't read it saying, Lord, what, what would you have to say to my neighbor? What would you have to say to another family member? Lord, what would you say to me? That's the way you study the Bible. And only when you study the Bible in that way can you really get a sense that God is growing you. Can you come to worship with that sincerity, that moment of truth, saying, Lord, today is for me. I've got to open my eyes, open my heart, believe in some way that you're going to grow me. Jesus said to Nathaniel, he's not trying to deceive anybody. He just presents himself as who he is, and, and I like that. Now look at what Nathaniel says to him in verse 48. Nathaniel said, how do you know me? I don't recall us ever having met. And yet you've just made a character assessment about my life. You've just said that I, I'm, 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 I'm this kind of person without... How do you know that? Look at what Jesus says here. He says, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I'm going to admit to you up front that I, I could be totally off base here with what Jesus is saying, but I think there's a good explanation for this. You see, fig trees are favored trees in Israel. They are favored because of their shape and their size and the foliage and the density of the foliage. And so what the, what the Jews do is they will, they will plant trees sometimes near to their homes. Not just because of the produce, but because they use the shade of the tree 
as an extra room on the house. And especially in the first century, I don't think it was uncommon to walk by a Jew's home and see someone early in the morning or late in the evening, perhaps in the cool of the day, those cool two times when it was most cool, sitting there with a scroll open reading the scriptures, Old Testament, of course, praying. And I think what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel. Well, before Philip ever introduced us, I walked by your house and I saw you sitting under the fig tree and I heard you praying and that let me know that you were a sincere person. You see, you have to, you have to gauge this against what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 13. Remember that passage? I mean, Jesus just plastered them against the wall. He, he said, you, you religious leaders, let me tell you what you do. You pray loud and you pray long. God is not interested in loud and long. Remember the parable that Jesus told? The Pharisee and the publican both went to church, went to the synagogue, went to the temple, and as they come in, the Pharisees given the you know, best seat down front, the publican sits in the back. Publican was a tax collector, by the way. And so he's sitting in the back, and the Pharisee says, God, I tithe, I come to church regularly, I do all the things I'm supposed to do. Thank you, God, that I'm not like that publican sitting back there. And all the publican said was, he could hang his head and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you know what Jesus said? Which one went away more justified that day? You think it was the Pharisee who sat down and in insincerity wouldn't address the needs in his own life. He was just gauging himself against the blatant sinner, tax collector, in the back. If eyes are the window to the heart, our health prayers are the window to our soul you see I, I could meet some of you on the street we never met we're total strangers and as I talk with you I could present myself to be somebody totally opposite of who I am and there is a measure ever so slightly measure of success that when I walk away you would believe me but guess what I can't fool God. And you can't either. And so when we go to Him in prayer, all we can do is say, God, it's, it's me again. Have you ever wondered why we tell God anything? If He knows it all anyway, why are we telling? It's because He wants to remind us of our dependence on Him. When you and I express the needs of our lives to Him, all we're doing is reminding ourselves, God, I can't do this without you. God, I can't live without you. God, I need you so much in my life. But how do you know when you're growing spiritually in your prayer life? Now, that is a topic that we could explore for a long time. I just want to illustrate it for you this morning. I can do that. Several years ago, I was a student at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And I had to go up there for two and three weeks at a time. I was away from my wife, away from my girls. My girls were young. And so I, I looked forward coming to home. They would hold us in class till about noon on Friday. And then I'm telling you, when they said that last amen and gave the benediction, pew, we were gone. And I, I always drove in the lane of grace. <laughs> you know, on the highway, the interstate, there's two lanes, right? The law of the law, you go to the speed limit, the law of grace over here on the... So I... <laughs> Y'all with me? 
I'd get home just as fast as I possibly could. Well, about this time in my life, I was experiencing uh, the horrible headaches that, that, you know, I thought were like a migraine or whatever. So I went to the doctor and hello, I was not being hydrated enough. I wasn't drinking enough water. So that was the problem. That's the long, uh, short, I mean, the shorter version of the story. But on this road home, I developed this horrible headache. Didn't know all I needed to do was drink some water, drink more water. But I, I developed this horrible headache. And, and, and it was like, you know, as I was going through this and had it reoccurring three or four times, no kind of medicine would help. All I had to do was go, go to bed and sleep it off. And so I'd been driving about seven, seven and a half hours, and I pulled up in the driveway, and I got out of the car. I didn't even get my luggage out. I just, I just walked in, and Angie had been cooking dinner, and they'd been waiting on me. They were going to eat dinner with me. They usually eat a little earlier. But I walked in, and she looked at me, and she said, Oh, no. <laughs> well, that's a wonderful way to be greeted by your wife when you've been gone for two weeks, right? But she said, I can tell you don't feel good. And I said, no, darling, I've, I've got a horrible headache. And the girls come up and just kind of latch on to me, you know. And I, I pat them on the head and kiss on them a little bit. And she said, you just go to bed and, and uh, sleep it off. And so I went back to the bedroom. And I turned out the lights. I slipped in the covers. And I hadn't been in bed not two minutes. And all of a sudden I hear the door open. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to drift off to sleep as fast as I can because I know that's the only thing that's going to make me feel better. And all I can think to myself is that Angie has slipped in the room. She's got to get something. She'll get right out, you know, uh, or it's an alien because nobody else is brave enough to come in the room. And, uh, and I didn't hear the door close. And so you know how with your eyes closed you can just sense a presence right there by you? So I just kind of opened my eyes and turned this way and looked, and there's my youngest daughter, Ashley, who has her chin in her hands like this, and she's just looking at me eyeball to eyeball right there. I said, what do you want, baby? I'm, I'm trying to go to sleep. And this is what she said. She said, I don't want nothing, Daddy. I just want to look at you. Wow. And after time passed and I reflected on that before, I thought to myself, you know, when children are that young and their daddy comes home, and this, this was true, I would, I would buy them stickers or candy or, you know, just some little trinket of something to say to them, I have missed you and I've been thinking about you and I bought this for you. And I, I thought about when I when I got in that night, they didn't ask me, what'd you get me, what'd you get me, what'd you get and when she came to the bedroom, didn't know Angie, Angie didn't know she was there, Angie wouldn't have never, would have never let her back... She didn't come back there to say, what did you get me while you were away? She came to just say to me, I don't want nothing. I just want to look at you. When was the last time you sat down with your heavenly father and said, Lord, I don't have a list today. Not going to ask you for anything. I just want to brag on you. God, I just want to look at you. I just want you to show your face to me. You see, when you're more interested in the father's face than you are his hand, you're growing spiritually. I think it was Carrie Job that, that was singing a song on the radio the other day. I, I need to go back and make sure I'm, I'm quoting the author of the song better. But, but, but the, the, the reoccurring chorus in the song is like, are you more interested in the gift or the giver? Are you more interested in the healing or the healer? Are you more interested in the saving or the savior? When you're more focused on who God is and what God can do for you, 
You're growing spiritually. Nathaniel was a supplicant. Now that's just a fancy term that means he was a man of prayer. And I want to encourage you to be a man or woman of prayer. But the last thing I want you to see here is that he surrendered. It's found in verse 49 where Nathaniel said, Rabbi, no higher title given to a religious teacher than Rabbi. You're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. I want you to go back to that verse, verse 46, where Philip had said, we found him. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. Come see for yourself. And he did. And once he'd met Jesus, he knew that Philip was right. And there was nothing else needed, nothing else he could do but to surrender himself to Jesus. And I think I see it there as he said, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Why did he say it that way? Why are you the the king of Israel? Because he said, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile, no no deceit. Uh, Jesus, you're the king of Israel. You're my king. And I see as he gives himself to Jesus there, there there is a sense in which he yields himself to him in a way, listen carefully, that is needed not only for us to become Christians, for us to accept Christ into our lives, but it is a daily process that you and I go through as we surrender, surrender, surrender ourselves to him. You see, as you grow up physically, and get older, what do your parents want, young people? Here's what your parents want. Be independent. Make your own money. Have your own place. Live your own life. Come see your parents occasionally. Call them regularly. But for the most part, be independent. A parent's job is done when a parent works themselves out of a job. But when it comes to spiritual growth and our connection and relationship with God... Every single day, we are totally connected to Him and we surrender to Him afresh and anew. Every single day, we give all of ourselves to Him. I read an interesting article recently about the hymn that we sing in church sometimes. It's, I Surrender All. It was written by a man in the Methodist church, last name Van Deventer. And do you know that that song was not just so popular until Dr. Billy Graham referenced it in a sermon, preaching in a crusade one time. And when Dr. Graham talked about what that hymn had meant to him personally and had a desire for it to be sung quite frequently, then other churches began to pick up on it and say, we need a copy of that, we need to put that in our hymnal. And so churches began to sing it. And when you study that hymn, I Surrender All, here's what you're going to find. Five verses. Every verse begins with all to Jesus, I surrender. And the chorus, I surrender all, I surrender all. Remember, as it's, as it's sung there, and there's even a, a refrain part that, that, that the men can sing. And so as you're singing, I surrender all, the men are singing, I surrender all. And so it's like an antiphonal phrase. It's just kind of repeated there. L- listen carefully. If you look at it, you'll discover that if you sing every part of the song, all five stanzas, you'll use the word surrender 30 times. You know how many times you'll use the word all? 43. 
You can't surrender some. You surrender all. My question is, have you surrendered all? Will you surrender all today? Stand with me this morning, will you? Father, I pray that to the best of our ability, we'll give ourselves to you this morning. Believing that only when you have total control of our lives can you make us who you want us to be. Only when we surrender everything can we begin to grow spiritually as you desire us to grow. Lord, I know that there are all kinds of people in this service today. Some of us are young Christians. Some of us have been Christians a long time. Our spiritual growth points are all over the place. But Lord, we give ourselves to you this morning. If there is any person who has yet to publicly acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and by your Spirit, you would lead them to make that decision public today. Give them the freedom and the courage to do that. Father, if there are Christians looking for a church home and because your Spirit would lead them to, to unite with our church family, I pray they'd come. Because we receive members in many ways. Let them come and say yes. We'll place our membership here and use what gifts and abilities we have so that the Lord's church may be strengthened. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake.